Welcome to Metaphysical Soul Speak, the podcast. I'm your host, Elena Fox. Hey guys, I hope you're doing really well in this moment in time. And that whenever and wherever you happen to be as you walk these ancient grounds, I hope that you are always and evermore aware of the constant newness of you. You're being preened and prepped and created new in each and every moment. Even Knowledge Raven spells (laughs) meow lets you know that she agrees with me. (laughs) She's been uh, quite the miss little chatterbox. So hopefully we will have some more input, uh, from the wise kitty. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I just, I've been thinking about how the sun and the interplanetary energies, all the things that are coming our way are constantly creating a newness in our DNA, the ascension energies, as they are called, are lifting us up to higher and ever more higher vistas mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We are being created anew in every moment. Every hour is a new hour. Every minute is a new minute we've never experienced before every day is a new day. Every night is another opportunity. Every moment, every person you meet that you never met before, every new thought that you think, every new breath that you take as we walk along these ancient grounds, we are evermore being made anew. And tonight I'm going to read you something from an ancient book, maybe not ancient, but maybe a hundred years old. (laughs) It's got to be more than 80, right? (laughs) Something out of the copyright (laughs) in order to make this, uh, legal, I guess. (laughs) Uh, it's not gonna be ancient, ancient, but this is what we do, right? You know, we talk about new age ideas, but they're really old age. The new age movement started over 125 years ago. The spiritualist movement, I suppose. Um, so there's like not really anything new under the sun. I saw a hilarious meme. In fact, I found an article of 40 classic art memes. And I watched this with my, or I looked at these with my, um, oldest kid yesterday. And we were on the same page on the internet and we were doing a zoom meeting. (laughs) I'm like, okay, scroll down. We'll, we'll look at each of these together. So we did, we're going down these memes and they were hilarious. Oh my God. There was like a, a picture that someone had painted hundreds and hundreds of years ago 
of Jesus being the baby in the manger, but in the background, there was a crucifixion, like a cross. (laughs) And it says on the meme, it says, spoiler alert. (laughs) It was hilarious. I'm like, oh my God, these are hilarious. And some of the things about, there's a lot of memes about Jesus, about art, uh, religious based art. And we were laughing pretty hard about it. Um, one, it was like Jesus at the last supper. And it said, is really nobody ever going to talk about the fact that Jesus was a man in his thirties and he still had 12 close friends. (laughs) Oh yeah, actually in and of itself, that my friends is indeed a miracle <laughs> holding on to friendships, 12 of them <laughs> for that long. I mean, that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> you know, he definitely is a miracle man on many levels. <laughs> That's one I had not yet considered, but one of the uh, memes that made me laugh the hardest was um, when, you know, it said people always complain about, you know, people sharing uh, pictures of their food, of food that they made or food that they bought in restaurants, just food memes, you know, like they hate this new trend of showing their food. And then it showed like, (laughs) like 10 ancient uh, pieces of art of people like taking or, or drawing or painting pictures of cheese, bread, wine, (laughs) <laughs> fruit <laughs> from hundreds of years ago. And it's like, this is not a new trend. This is an old, <laughs> it's an old trend. It's just, it takes a few seconds to take a picture of your food versus, you know, hours, <laughs> dozens of hours perfecting that picture of food, <laughs> a plate of fruit. <laughs> on a painting. It's, it's actually hilarious. I, I was really thinking about it because that's how, that's how it is. You know, we think we're in this new age movement. We think it's new and it's really not. I mean, they were calling it the new age movement in 1987. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even from 1987, when the term became kind of, you know, more popularized. It was like, yeah, I mean, come on. (laughs) That's like 36 years ago. Come on. Or 35, whatever it was. Yeah. It's just dumb. It's so dumb. And, um, (laughs) so there's that. And then, um, was it 35 or three? I can't even do the math right now in my head while talking about this, but But yeah, and and even then it was a lot of these ideas are old. They're like from a hundred years before that even, you know, and it's like, I don't know. And and, and even those ideas came from like a thousand years, 2000 years. I mean, the idea of cities, I mean, Jesus did cities. Jesus had superhuman, supernatural abilities. So even the idea of superheroes in, you know, movies these days, whatever. I mean, there's so many popular ones. You know, I don't even know most of them. Somebody mentioned the Avengers the other day. I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck that is. I never watched it. I just, you know, it's just too much. But when you're trying to cultivate a spiritual life and you're trying to create a body that is high in vibration and therefore can 
accept the higher, um, Christ light energy, higher frequencies. And when you start to embody and embrace the God within you, you actually become a little bit of a superhero yourself. You know, it starts off with just knowing who's on the phone when, when it rings, you sense someone's coming up, you know, the road to like, you know, or street to your house. And you're just like, you just feel it, you know, and someone's about to call whatever it is, you know, you know, it starts off with like that, like kind of a sixth sense, or you feel like something's off about a situation or a person or event. And suddenly, oh, sure. Shit. You called it. There it is. My friend, uh, told me that her mom went away for the week on a vacation. This is about a week and a half ago. And she said, yeah, my mom went away for a week and it's so peaceful over here. You know, she's been so negative and rude and hurting my feelings left and right. And she doesn't even seem to have an awareness of it. And when she said this to me, as she's talking about her mom going, you know, to Florida for a vacation, I'm like, Oh shit. Your mom's not coming back in a week. She says, I can't, I, she's like, I'm so excited. My mom's going to be gone for a whole week. I'm like, no, your mom's going to be gone to closer than, you know, closer to two weeks. And she's like, no, no, she's only going for a week. She already bought her, her, her ticket and everything. I'm all, no, she's going to be delayed. Something's going to happen. She'll either decide to stay another week or the universe is going to force her to stay away from you. (laughs) And and she's like, no, come on. I'm like, no, it's going to happen. I just saw it. I said three to four days late minimum, but you know, probably not a full week, but she's going to be gone almost two weeks. Sure as shit. Um, the weather got really bad and the planes were delayed for a couple days. And then she finally got in to Canada, but the city where she landed, suddenly there was a weird fog and they couldn't take off from there. And needless to say, she was five days late coming home <laughs> and she was, you know, happy cause she's getting free comped free food, comped free hotel, whatever. And I'm like, I knew it. I told you, I, I, the universe was keeping her away from you extra to give you an extra break. And she, she just got there yesterday and she's my friends like, you know what? She wrote me like just about an hour ago. She's like, I, I just, I didn't realize how fricking negative my mom was until she was gone for all this time. And now she comes back and it's just like, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, mom had to come back. That just sucks, man. But, uh, but that's one of those things, you know, when you start to have psychic vision, psychic impressions, you start having, that's one of the first cities that comes along. And when I say city, I want to spell it S I D D H I for those of you who want to look it up a city or cities S I D D H I S. Um, yeah, it's like one of the coolest things. Um, it really is, um, it's, it's, it's comforting for me, you know, because I have that and telepathy and, you know, all the, the ones I've had, I I can project my consciousness. Now, um, this is one that came randomly to me about six years ago, maybe about five and a half years ago, actually. 
where I could just project my consciousness into another human and know everything that they're going through. I don't do it often. I don't try to do it. It, when it first started happening, I was, well, I had dropped acid (laughs) and I was really high. I mean, I, it was an uncontrollable high. When you drop acid, there's nothing you could do, but sit back, relax and enjoy the freaking ride and hope you don't get arrested during, (laughs) during the whole course of it. (laughs) And I had this guy I met in a hostel had sold me some excellent acid from that he got from New York. (laughs) I'm like, damn, it was good acid, man. And he's like, it's a little old. It's, it's not as good as it was, you know, like a week ago. I'm like, Oh my God, this, I was like high for 12 hours. Holy shit. (laughs) I was eating ice cream and it kept growing back. It it must've taken me three hours to eat the tiniest bit of ice cream. It felt like three hours. It was probably only 20 minutes, but not even that, but crazy, crazy strong acid. But the first time it happened, I saw this little girl trying to hold back the tears. She was walking home from school, Catholic school. She was wearing a Catholic uniform and I saw her and I just, my heart went out to her and I asked God to bless her. And because I was super high on acid, my consciousness kind of went into her head for a moment. And, um, some mean girls had hurt her feelings and I think it had something to do with the boy. I don't remember. It wasn't clear. I just kind of forgot it on purpose. Cause I was like, God, I don't want to pry into someone else's life. But after that, when I was sober, <laughs> not high at all. Um, it was one of those things where for a while, for a while, um, I was able to, um, just like if I look at anybody more than 30 seconds, whether I'm looking into their face or in the back of their head, didn't matter. All of a sudden I know everything. I know what they ate that day. I know what the other clothes they were planning on wearing, you know, like what didn't work out. Like, you know, what was on their mind, who was texting them, not to the point where I could see the phone numbers and names, but just the gist of, you know, like what are they going through emotionally and mentally and, you know, it was just trippy and I still have the ability, but I control it now. I don't just randomly hop into people's bodies, but I couldn't look people in the face. I couldn't look into people's eyes, um, for more than five or 10 seconds, which makes me look shifty and shady as hell, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to just automatically know everything about them, you know, cause I, I believe in privacy. So it's, it's one of those awkward cities that I got, but it has helped me give me insight into, uh, how other people are thinking and feeling, especially when, when people pay me to do, um, a reading for them because I can hop myself into their body if they give me permission and I could see all the shit that's going down, you know, um, it's probably why I got so sick from this uh, woman that I am no longer friends with that I'd been friends with for over four years because I think I started to see shit from her perspective. And when I did that, she was able to get me because she was a sorcerer. You know, normally people can't really do that. You know, the average person doing a magic spell isn't gonna, you know, really even touch me. But you know, like the, uh, the witches that I discovered four people, working against me on purpose daily for a dozen years, it finally dawned on me. That's what had been happening. You know, when I got skin cancer, I found out God told me that was them. 
you know, like they tried to kill me. And, and, um, I started really realizing that, um, there were five men that I tried to date that I was interested in. And all five of those men died like really quickly within just months of me having a conversation of we should date, we should meet, we should get together. We should, you know, um, and one of them, it, it, it was like a year and a half later when, I mean, but every time I tried to get together with him, like suddenly his best friend was uh, killed in a car wreck and he had to go to the funeral. And then he was going to spend a couple months back there. And, you know, then we had plans again where everything's fine. And he had a weird panic freak out and he started crying on the phone saying, I can't meet you. And I can't explain why. And I have a weird feeling and I don't know. And he started crying and crying and crying. And he's like, I'm just bad luck. I don't know. I'm bad news. I don't know. I can't do it. I can't do it. So the third time we were going to meet, we met in a mall and we hung out and we were, um, we just talked, you know, my kids and and I and and him were just meeting in the mall and you just hung out, you know, walked around the mall. It was super fun. We sat in the, um, like there was like a, you know, series of couches and super comfortable like chairs. And we just hung out for like two or three hours. And I'm like, God, I'm really comfortable with you. I really, really like you. And I always knew I did. And maybe this is the time we start our romance. And he's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So we go out to the parking lot, get in our cars and I tell him exactly where I'm going. And, um, he said, I'll follow you. And he got confused and got off the freeway and he couldn't follow me. And in that moment, his phone died. He had to go all the way back home, which was an hour and a half away. And he charged his phone so he could tell me, and he was going to charge it up for 10 or 20 minutes and then contact me. Well, then he fell asleep. Next thing I know, it's like, you know, midnight or something insane, you know, or two in the morning. And he's like, he called me. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry to call you so late, but this is what happened. I fell asleep. I don't know what the hell happened. It was like these forces constantly working against us. And, um, the next time I went down, we were going to meet and he got into a car accident and almost died. He had amnesia. The only person he could remember was me. And he was calling my name out while he was unconscious. And so this is the kind of shit these, these bitches pulled on, on me and how they affected my life. Now they cannot, I have put stops to it. I work directly with God and you know, the courts of heaven, you know, really work. And this is what I did. But, um, so he almost died then. And his dad's like, who's this Elena you keep talking about? He's like, Oh dad, I really like her so much. She's so special. She's one of the sweetest most amazing women. And I really want to be with her. And then I don't know what happened after that. And he told me this, he's on the phone with me talking. We were talking all the time and suddenly randomly, it's like he forgot me and we weren't as much in touch. And then I started, I met another guy that I dated for like six months. And then when that was over, I just, I tried to call Jason again. I'm like, Jason, why are you? You know, suddenly he's not talking to me. Suddenly he didn't even know I was dating anyone else. We weren't even an item yet. We had never even started the romance yet. We just knew we wanted to. And it's like one thing after another, after another, over two years time. And finally I get a phone call from a different insurance. He was my insurance man, a different insurance agency. And they said, 
um, we're going to be taking over your policy. And the only he, Jason had told me the only time that happens is when the head of a current agency you're with, um, dies. And I just got this sinking feeling. They died of cancer. Even a woman that was interested in me, she died of cancer and she was healthy when I had last seen her. So five men died, um, one in a car accident, one in, um, you know, the one I just told you about cancer, one had a brain aneurysm. He contacted me and four days later he was dead. Um, I mean like that, I mean, to that level, to that extent, like, so I sent all this shit back on them a few days ago, 30 million times 30 million. I would not at all be surprised if I hear that one by one, they die too. You know, <laughs> I would like to see them suffer more, you know, than just dying. Cause that's the easy way out, you know, but, um, you know, and I don't mean to be so rude about it or mean, but you know, they, they literally killed, well, basically six people I was interested in cause the woman I was interested in, um, we were kind of flirting all the time. Every time we saw each other kind of flirting and I kind of felt like, you know, she kept saying, move down to San Diego, live, you know, live near me and maybe live with me. Hell, I got a big house. She's like, you could just move right on it. I mean, she really loved me. And it was like from the moment we met too, it was like, God, that might work out actually. Cause she's such a hip, cool person that I, I would actually see myself being in a, a, a couple with her. And, um, anyway, but that's what these people have done to me, you know, like five or six people interested in me. And I was interested in them and it was this mutual thing. One guy, um, what was the other one? Oh yeah. One guy was, he was, uh, had multiple personality disorder and one of his personalities, um, took drugs and killed him, took a shot up too much heroin and killed him. And he was, um, sober, you know, his main personality was sober. It's fucking crazy, crazy shit, crazy shit, man. So, and I did talk about this, I think a little bit before, but I started really, I found out who did it. You know, how, how come is it just that I have shitty luck with men? Cause I'm the angel of death. I mean, wait, what is this? You know, is it cause I'm Archangel Azrael? I don't know, but it turned out, um, it was these people doing this shit to me for 12 fucking years after their, my ex-husband died and it's his family. And, um, so I found out all this shit. I'm like, Oh man, this is, and to the point where they would like cackle and laugh about wouldn't it be funny if this happened to her body or that happened to her body. And one of those things did result in my having cancer. And, um, luckily God, I am whom God helps. I, my boyfriend at the time just happened to know the cure for cancer and he told it to me and I took this cure and in 21 days, I was cancer-free, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Thank you, God. Um, you know, <laughs> he wasn't the best boyfriend in the world, but boy, he was one of my best friends. He, he saved my fucking life just by giving me some knowledge about it, about what was going on. He was a very health-conscious, or is a very health-conscious person. He's a narcissist, but he did save my life, you know. And then like two, three weeks later, he's like, you know, why are you taking all this juice? I'm like, cause you told me to, cause I had cancer. And he's like, oh, you don't have cancer. I'm like, I, no, I don't. Now I did. Like, he was just like gaslighting me left and right. 
<laughs> but whatever. But he did. He changed. He changed my life. You know, in, in, in every moment we are made new in every moment we are made fresh. And now that I've hit the courts of heaven with this one, I sent it all back. So I don't know. I have uh, come across stories of people that have a sudden onslaught of a horrible disease. And I find out that's the same kind of shit. So I have done this for a couple people anonymously. And if they get better, there's one particular person that I did this for. And if she gets better, um, I just did this today for her and she doesn't know me. I don't know her. I just heard about this story. So if she does get better, I'll let y'all know, um, who it was and you could check it out because it's in the news she's famous. And I'm like, no, I, I know somebody who met her years ago and she's one of the sweetest people in the world. She's so super sweet. And I'm like this, she does not deserve this shit. So I just went into the courts of heaven and found out it was because people are jealous of her beauty, you know, but I don't know. It's, it's all really dumb. So I'm, you know, kicking asses and taking names, man, or (laughs) not in that order, the opposite order, taking names and kicking ass. (laughs) I had a friend uh, from Europe that I said that to one day. He said, you know, in the morning we lived in a hostel or we're staying in a hostel and I walked into the breakfast room which is this massive bar with like 30 foot high ceilings and these massive windows and one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. And I lived there with my kids for six months. I couldn't help it. They didn't have any rules against staying more than three weeks like most hostels do. And uh, they loved having us there. We just became part of the fixtures, you know, like they loved us and we loved them and they were like our family, all the staff and the, the owner, he was this really eccentric dude. He was just, he said, I opened up a hostel cause I lived in this mansion alone and I just made it a hostel because I don't want to be lonely anymore. He says, I love it. He's like, I could just come here and walk around and find interesting people to talk to. And every day there's somebody new that's super interesting with great travel stories in my house. And that's what it is. It's like a, a mansion from, 150 something years ago. <laughs> it was a beautiful place. It was lovely to live there actually. And, um, but I was talking to my friend from Europe and he was a volunteer working there in the hostel. So he, he'd been there for months as well. And he and I became good friends. And, um, I walked in the breakfast thing and, you know, part, and I went to grab my, my coffee and my juice and my bread with butter, you know, and, which I, it was all free. It was was all included for the $5 a night. It was excellent price to stay there. So $15 a night for my kids and I to stay there and meet new and unusual people from all over the world. Like every day we met new people. It was super fun. You know, and like the, the French people teach my kids French and the, you know, um, people from other countries, you know, would teach my kids other things and the Americans were always freaked out about this, that, and the other thing. So we had to help the Americans that didn't speak Spanish. (laughs) I eat intestines. Oh my God. I'm so freaked out. I'm like, 
oh yeah, you need to learn Spanish immediately. And I'd, I'd take them, there was like a massive wall of all of the traditional dishes of Peru. So uh, this one, this one, and this one uh, are shit. It's just shit you don't want to eat. Trust me on that. These are the good ones. This is why they're telling you before you go out to the restaurants, <laughs> don't order this one. Don't order that one. But this one over here is going to be really, really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do need to know. <clears throat> you do need to know enough Spanish to not order the most disgusting thing on the menu. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I mean, like, I mean, either that or your best bet is just eat vegan, you know, just so you're not, you know, <laughs> not messing up, you know, there's my, my son bought this stuff on the street and, um, he's like, Oh my God, this is really weird beef. It's like chewy and I don't understand. And then later I found out he was like eating beef heart <laughs> he was like, whoa. And he kind of liked it after that. He's like, oh, it's kind of weird, but all right. And he just, he, he ate it. My daughter and I were like, no, we're not going to eat that. But if you want it, it it's okay. You know, um, other people are making these uh, sandwiches that were like um, weird looking. I'm like, what is this? You know, what's it made from? And I knew enough Spanish to ask. And they said it was congealed blood. <laughs> blood burgers. I was like, Oh my God. So disgusting. I just can't even with this, but, but most of Peruvian food is actually excellent, excellent food. But, um, those were the more disgusting things. I was just like, no, they do at least use every part of the animal. And that's just part of the philosophy there, which I appreciate. I just don't enjoy the idea of eating that food, having been raised in a much different culture. But, um, Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but a <laughs> weird sidetracked little uh, thing there. But um, yeah, I was thinking about how every day we're made new and we're made new by the ascension symptoms. We're made new by um, uh, our own thoughts, our own ideas. You know, in every moment we're either creating a state of fear and bringing the fearful state to us or we are... Uh, thinking about positivity and letting go of the fear where every day we're thinking something new, whether it's good or bad, that's what we draw to us. Right. And a friend of mine was just telling me how there's been a lot of bombings in Quito. Well, I don't go anywhere near that city. I did not know. And that's here in Ecuador. And so I'm kind of upset. He's going to tell me a little bit more tonight, but I guess he was there and the police um, attacked him and held him for like held him hostage for a while and got $3,000 out of him. He was like the actual police. I'm like, well, it could have been, you know, mafia or cartel dressed as police, you know? So I don't know. It's like really creepy as hell. And, um, he's like, just be careful. He's, he's worried about me moving to Monta. It's a much more dangerous city compared to where I live now. I'm like, yeah, I know, but there's like a mall and I can live in a gated community and, um, you know, we could start a business there, possibly my friend and I, and you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, actually, I don't know if they have property there, but they do have a yacht there, you know, and there's a lot of actors and, you know, Ecuadorian actors that live there. It's, there are some really nice places to the city. So I don't know if I'm going to end up there or not, but that's at least where I'm planning on moving. And if it's horrible, then I could just go to Loja or 
Vilcabamba, which is where all the expats go. <laughs> it's the valley of longevity. We all want to live longer, you know. It's one reason why people moved to Ecuador in the first place, is that living longer factor. But um, but I was thinking about it, and I love this guy so much. He's a dear friend of mine. But one thing that I noticed is um, when I went out with him like three years ago, I think we went out to dinner and we went to see my other friend's show and it was kind of a date. I don't know if he thought of it as a date, but we just got together and we met and we are just like getting along super, super well. And, um, I think it was like back when I was doing the first season of metaphysical soul speak, the podcast. So, um, I told my channel Pleiadians for the show that it's a new thing for me. And he said that he, um, had been contacted by the Pleiadians Ashtar command a lot himself. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, and so we had a lot to talk about. We had one, exactly one kiss in the back of a taxi and that was it. <laughs> and so then I got out of the taxi and that was the end of that. And a week later he moved out of the city to another city. And I'm like, what the hell, man? And, um, he's been, he moves around a lot. He loves this country and he goes around to different cities. He'll be two months here, three months there. He's kind of a nomad, <laughs> but he's a businessman. He's a very interesting person, super eccentric. And it's one thing I love about him dearly. But when we were on that date at the end of the date, when we're walking to find the taxi, um, I noticed that he was like nervous. He's always fearful looking over his shoulder. He had been jumped before in Quito. He's been jumped there a couple times this last time by cops or people dressed as cops. And, um, I noticed that he had this nervousness about him. Like he was like, he had weapons on him. I've got this knife. I've got this, you know, uh, like it was like a flashlight and it had like, um, a zapper, like to electrocute someone that comes near him and also had, um, coming out of the, the electrocution part. It's not electrocution. I don't know what it's called. It's just, um, one of those things like in the U S you can have one of these on your person because it's in some places it's illegal. In some places it's not where uh, a taser, that's it. I'm like, a phaser? No, <laughs> this isn't Star Trek. A taser. And, um, but it's kind of like, it's like a, it's a flashlight, but also has a taser uh, mode on it. My son bought one for me. And then I think you brought it with him to Oakland, which is probably a, a good idea, moving to a rough neighborhood like that, you know, just in case. And now he's in San Francisco and in another rough neighborhood. But um, both my kids live in rough neighborhoods and we, I mean, they were raised partially in Detroit and in San Francisco in an extremely rough neighborhood because it's all I could afford. And um, even though I love, uh, I love San Francisco and I love Detroit actually, but it, I mean, it's a bit of a rough neighborhood. You know, you got to keep your wits about you and never be outside at night and just, you know, always look over your shoulder, etc. But my friend, um, he's not a very big person and he can, you know, he's, he's kind of thin and he's, um, quite a bit taller than me, but he's kind of lanky, you know, and, and I feel for him because I feel like, you know, he's like nervous about being attacked. And I guess once you're attacked, always you have PTSD over it. So I'm not going to blame him for it, but I feel like when you have that negative, fearful based fear energy, you'll pull that in to you. 
to have that experience again. And uh, he's been attacked a few times and, but he's always out and about in the city. He's, you know, he's not a flashy person. He's just a sweet, humble, amazing. He's Muslim. He's just an amazing human being. I love him dearly. But, um, but I was thinking about that. You know, you get what you attract and you got to be careful what you attract. And he's like, go, don't go to Mont. I'm so scared for you, baby girl. Like, don't, yeah. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. It's just kind of, but I really want to be in the city. He's like, you could probably be okay. Cause you know, basically you're a foreigner and foreigners don't get attacked as often, you know, like maybe you can live in a, you know, gated community. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was kind of going for. Like trying to find something kind of, you know, a white privileged neighborhood. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but you know, call it what it is. Right. But, um, I think it could be okay. I think that my friend and I, she's from Toronto. So she knows from (laughs) violent neighborhoods. I think we could be okay. And plus we're bringing love and light to everything. And I was thinking I may, I may grid the city. I've talked to people who've done this where the crime has gone down, where they put, um, you know, grids or they put, um, you know, like either crystals or they do, a a grid of, um, uh, oh my God, organite. So I'm going to start doing this kind of shit throughout Ecuador. Cause my friend told me this, I'm feeling like kind of inspired, like maybe, you know, and I've seen a lot of taxi guys with ha- taxi drivers with organite in their taxis, and they don't know that they have to rinse it off for 30 seconds every seven days. Otherwise, the negative energy comes back on them. So I've had to tell many taxi drivers that. So if you guys have organite, you know, I want you to know you do need to rinse it off. You know, it will, it's a positivity generator. It's a negativity collector, but it can only go for about seven days before it needs to be renewed and recharged by running it under just the tap for 30 seconds. But anyway, so anyway, so I was thinking about all this stuff. I was thinking about the newness. I was thinking about what my friend said about Ecuador. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's, it's not the whole of Ecuador that's having this problem. Um, and why it killed the president just had like a thousand men rounded up that are part of, I don't know. He's saying drug gangs, but it might actually be mafia or cartel. He probably doesn't want people to freak out, you know, so he's just calling them drug gangs, but I'm, you know, I'm glad, Hey, you know, the people that are being super violent, they, they need to go, you know, um, I do agree with that. Although I love drugs. So you know, maybe I'm part of the problem. I'm just kidding. I haven't done drugs in years except for smoking weed, which is a plant God created. So in my mind, it's not a drug. Um, anyway, so I was thinking about all this stuff and I was thinking about being made noon every moment. And I was thinking about Ascension symptoms and I was thinking about Ashtar command and my Ascension symptoms lately. Um, my back has been in a lot of pain, my upper back. And I've been having, it's probably forward head posture, just truth be told, but I've been having some issues with uh, a lot of different things. Um, related to that, like, you know, sleeping, my neck being in a bad position, maybe that's it. I don't know, but I might have to, I have a posture corrector, the thing that I might maybe just have to wear while I sleep. I mean, I think I'm curling myself up into a fetal position in my sleep and wrecking my back, but, um, I've been having the weirdest fucking dreams, like for the past couple weeks, like really 
boring, annoying dreams, super boring, super annoying. And usually I have fun adventures dreams when I have a boring life. My life's been boring, but maybe, I don't know, maybe my mind has been more active. So now I'm having super boring dreams, but like I'll wake up and it's just like, I know where that was headed. I know where the storyline of my dream was headed, but holy shit, it's so boring. Like I get, I am tired and my body wants to rest, but my mind is like, fuck, we can't take these boring dreams anymore. Really shitty dreams. <laughs> it's like, what happened to my fun, cool, weird, bizarro, eccentric dreams? Maybe I need to start smoking weed again. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Because I'm like, what the hell is happening or what's not happening? But uh, when I had a boring ish dream of the weekend. This is what I, what was happening. I like, I went back in time to when my husband was first diagnosed with cancer and we lived in a different place in the dream. So it wasn't, it wasn't even a real, it wasn't another timeline I asked, but he trusted me to say, I am dying of cancer and I don't know what you want to do. If you want to divorce me and take the kids away, I'm okay with that. And I said, no, baby, I'm here with you every step of the way. And he said, he said, I don't want to be selfish, but I was hoping you would say that. And I said, of course. And so I was there for every round of chemo and every, you know, every radiation, every, everything he had done. I was there for all of it, you know watching him lose the rest of his hair, you know, the whole nine yards and our love deepened and our relationship grew. And by the time he was on his deathbed for real, the kids and I were all a part of all of it. And we felt united as a family united on the family front. He was leaving the house to us knowing that this was going to happen, wanting to protect and provide for us, wanting to love us, wanting everything to be perfect, even though it wasn't. And I woke up crying so hard, like, God, you know what? I wished it had gone that way. I wish he had been fucking honest with me instead of pushing me away to be a brave man facing cancer on his own. And making me feel like this whole relationship was a lie and he never loved me. You know, and my daughter and I talked about this. I'm like, I am so pissed about this still. I feel like he did not love me. I feel like I'm a fucking idiot. I'm an idiot for being with this guy, marrying this guy, breeding with this guy, bringing you into the world where you feel uncertain about your father and the relationship. Like, I feel like this guy screwed up screwed me up in ways beyond just relationship. Like I trusted him with my life and because of him, we became homeless. Like I trusted him with everything. And in his final days, I thought he was an asshole that had been trying to kill me. That's what he made it sound like and seem like. And he did try to kill my, my son. He put my son in the hospital and blamed it on me to steal my kids away from me. Like he was such an asshole at the end. And I don't know if that was his plan or if there's a brain cancer. I still don't even know. 
and my daughter and I were talking and she said, I don't know what happened to him in the last two years of his life, but he definitely loved you. Definitely. And I'm like, well, it's good to hear, but I really just don't believe it anymore. I feel like my whole life has been a fucking lie. The one true love of my life. And it's probably a lie because who would do that to somebody that they loved, not trust me and honor me and respect me enough to give me the truth. Cause all I'm all about my whole life is the truth and let me decide, you know, rather than putting on a brave face and being a dick and making your own children hate you and, and making me hate you. Like why would someone do that? It makes no fucking sense. He's trying to be a man, but to me that's a coward. And I told him on his deathbed days before he died that we're done. We're through. And I know that we're already divorced and all that shit, but, and I know you're dying. So this is what I'm telling you now. You and I, our souls no longer connected. You don't ever have to do anything with me again. We had so many past lives together. He was my main soulmate. I'm like, I'm done. Fuck you. And the horse you rode in on. I told him that on his deathbed. <laughs> I really did. I'm just like, yeah. Most people are like, oh, he's a dying man. And then after he dies, oh, he was such a saint. No, fuck him. He threatened my life. He threatened my kids. He became a real right asshole at the end. And I'm um, really still mad about it sometimes. Not, not actively, not all the time. But it was just one of those things where he made me question fucking everything. My judgment, you know, he made me question everything about me. And I mean, it, it, it took it to so many deep spiritual levels. I have grown in spite of it, not because of it, but it had me doubting everything. He was a deeply spiritual man and had me doubting all the spiritual stuff, had me doubting maybe God doesn't exist. You know, maybe this is all just a big fat illusion we lived. Like it was all, I mean, it put me through the ringer. So I told my, my kid this and it, in this dream that I had in which he was dying of cancer. We were there while he was throwing up. We were there while he was weak. We were there while we're trying to tell him to eat, you know, like going through the hard stuff with him in that dream. And it seemed like an all night long dream. It actually healed me. I wished I would have been there for him the whole time. I wish he would have allowed me to be there instead of lying. I found out he was dying 10 days before he was dead. And by then it was too late and I didn't even know where he was staying. And the kids didn't know where he was staying. Like, so I couldn't even go in person to see him and tell him goodbye. And one of these women, um, his ex-wife was in on this, uh, brew area that went against me. And, and I mean, five or six people I was interested in died all this shit, man, all this shit, you know? And I just found it all out now. I mean, at this late date and God finally was revealing this stuff to me over the past uh, week or so, I put all that shit back on her and all, all of them 30 million times 30 million after I, I, I fucking prayed for her ass for years. She has an excellent job and a husband that loves her and a really good life because I fucking, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for her. Ask God special favors, pulling special favors for this woman. And this is how she did me dirty. And she didn't even know I was praying for her. I told her in the beginning that I was. And I told her I saw a good life for her, actually. That I'm a real true psychic. And um, everything I said actually freaking came true. 
I mean, this bitch made more money than I've ever even, like, in, if you take all the money I made in my entire lifetime, she's probably made that in the past three years. She has a lot of money. She's doing so well for herself. And yet she decided for 12 years to uh, do shit against me. And I, I, I mean, I took her from a place where she was living in a separate bedroom, not having sex for nine years with a man that she adored who didn't even give a shit about her. He didn't love her. He loved her as a friend, but no more. Wasn't even attracted to her. Thought she was ugly. Like the stuff he told me about her and he might be a narcissist looking back, you know, the stuff he told me about her, it was really horrible. You know, he's like, yeah, I felt guilty. I married her out of guilt. I didn't really ever really, I wasn't in love with her at all. You know, I'm like this woman deserves, every woman deserves to have, you know, a love of their life that loves them back. Now it makes me wonder what he said about me. You know, if he was a narcissist, maybe said the same shit about me. I don't know. But I know what he told me on his deathbed. I was the one, always the one, never wanted to breed with anyone else. I was the only woman he wanted. He's sorry it happened the way it happened. You know, so at least I got the apology. But this dream healed me. It was weird. It's it so bizarre to say, but it felt good to watch him die slowly, to be there all the way, the step, every step. Like, if you're ever in that situation, trust the people around you enough and honor them and respect them enough. Give them enough credit. Give them enough credit. Because... He robbed me of the experience of loving deeper, loving him deeper. And to appreciate life more by watching that process. He robbed me of that experience completely. Made me not trust anybody ever again. He's the only one I ever trusted that deep. You know, so that actually, that dream helped me create a newness inside of me. I felt free for the first time in 12 years. He will have been dead over 13 years because we, well, actually 14 years because we broke up and it took two years to divorce that fucker. (laughs) But this month is the 12 year anniversary of when he died. And I was with him for 13 years. So it's like almost the same amount of time that we were together. He's been dead already. And it's like, you know, so another, so another note (laughs) to notate from this process, what I'm telling you, um, grief has its own timeline. It it could take for fucking a decade or dozen years to actually truly, uh, grieve and get through some stuff. I mean, it takes years. Sometimes it takes dozens, you know, sometimes it can take, you know, 20, 30 years, decades to get over some shit. Or at least to understand it to a a deep spiritual level. But I feel anew. I feel new. I feel like free from it now. (sighs) You know, at least on some level. Maybe he sent me that dream from heaven or whatever. Maybe God just sent it to me just so I can move the fuck on. (laughs) Finally. Ah, maybe my twin flame can finally call me this week or next week. You know, whatever he was planning on calling me. (laughs) You know, so hear that twin. You need to call me. (laughs) He's got my number. I know he's got my number actually now. So it's just a matter of time. 
And I'm not even worried about it, honestly. <laughs> but I'm free of that shit. Anyway, we had over the weekend, we had a, a pretty massive energy, a lot of shifting. And it might be the shitty dreams I was having, <laughs> except for that one. And that one was, it, it was a, a sad dream. Oh man, but so healing. It's like, who knew that watching someone slowly die of cancer could be healing. It's so bizarre. It's so strange to me. But anyway, uh, I wanted to go to spaceweather.com now so we could check out what's up in space. And we want to look at the um, news about the sun, earth, environment. All right, so the current solar wind speed is 392.4 kilometers per second. Solar activity at this time is low. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Holy shit. Seven sunspots facing us right now. But they're all stable with their magnetic fields. They pose no immediate threat for strong explosions at all. There's only a 5% chance of M-class flares and no more than a 1% chance of X flares. Uh, you know, today, not a whole lot going on right now. Now, 21 years ago, there was a severe geomagnetic storm. So in 2001, while my daughter was one years old back then, now she's a grown adult. (laughs) That's wow. So skies over central Europe were glowing bright red and violet. You could go check this out on spaceweather.com. Such a scary, eerie look. Holy man. It almost looks like they're going through fires, but this is kind of a pretty kind of red. Anyway, uh, yeah, so very, uh, when I look at the sun news uh, thing here, we're on sunspot number 82. There was another um, CME that came off of the sun. Let me see if I could go back up there. What this says. So, um... Yeah, this is so yeah, this is massive this flare if you want to check it out from 21 years ago. They actually have a picture uh, like a video of it coming off of the sun. The current Ulu neutron counts coming out of the uh, University of Ulu's Sodankaila Geophysical Observatory in Finland that show the cosmic radiation and the cosmic rays coming our way. They're saying that we are at an elevated level right now. We're at 4.7% of the space age average. And has gone up in the past 48 hours by 0.5%. And right now there are no significant coronal holes on the Earth's side of the sun, which means the uh, solar winds that were flowing our way are now gone. The NASA's All-Sky cameras and the All-Sky Fireball Network have reported 35 fireballs over the United States today. Uh, 19 were sporadic, 15 were northern torrids, and one was an Orionid. So there you have it. Now we're going to go over to the uh, Schumann Resonance News at DisclosureNews.it. Now keep in mind the baseline is 7.83 hertz frequency. And uh, I'm waiting for the page to load. Hold on a minute. And lo and behold, it's above the baseline frequencies, which is statistically significant. We're now at power 23. Power 23. That's at disclosurenews.it. In fact, if it's if it's high in Italy, I'm sure it's higher elsewhere. 
or at least as high in California, because according to HeartMath Institute at the HeartMath.org website, sorry, this data is temporarily unavailable. So someone's equipment got knocked out. I just looked as 5544 here on the timer, which tells me that might be somebody's angel number. Um, now I'm looking, it's 5555, so that might be someone's angel number, 555 or 55. You can look that up on your favorite angel number app. You can look it up in your favorite angel number book. And that's it for now, guys. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to be reading you, well, for some of you, a bedtime story. <laughs> for some of you, I'm going to be reading yeah, something to, you know, make your brain happy this morning. I don't know what time you're going to be hearing this, but I know I'm heard all over the world. And, and if you want your friends to hear me, you got to let them know about metaphysical soul speak, the podcast. I do need more listeners, please. I don't know if this is my last season or not. Um, it might be one more year and it's over, but this might be the last season. I mean, I'm just not getting the traffic that I thought I would be. So please guys tell your friends, tell your family, Tell your neighbor down the street, anyone you know who's spiritual, who's seeking, people going through the dark night of the soul resonate with me more than people who just want the pretty, pretty rocks. <laughs> Haven't hit the dark night patch yet. But, um, you know, just uh, just a heads up for that. All right, I don't even know what I'm going to read tonight, so i got to go look for old spiritual books. But I guarantee it's going to be something interesting and hopefully something funny. All right, I'll be right back after this itty-bitty musical ditty. Florence Scovel Shin was a metaphysician she taught metaphysics she was also an artist she illustrated popular children's books um, and uh, literature in magazines as well she was married to an artist by the name of Everett Shin who was an impressionist artist and I guess he also did murals and stuff but after 14 years of marriage, he requested a divorce in 1912. So she could not find a publisher for this book, The Game of Life and How to Play It. So she went ahead and published it herself. So, yes, <laughs> she was a boss babe 97 years ago. <laughs> Good for her. Um, so... She just talks about uh, success principles and all the things that you need to remember and consider when you're manifesting uh, pretty much anything in your life. So um, her positivity and her profound ability to get to the heart of the matter and bring it all back down to the studs, basically, where it all goes back to God is my provider. That's what we, what we need to know. God is love. That's what we need to emulate. That's what we need to radiate. And that's pretty much it, right? 
So she was successful. She had several of her books um, published and, or she published them. And then she ended up like leaving a book in her desk drawer, which I'm sure most authors do (laughs) at least one. And after she died, they actually, somebody found it and published it posthumously, which I thought was interesting, but she has left an incredible legacy, um, for women and men and generations to come. I really, she's, she's actually, her books have actually helped me. So I'm going to start now and here it is the game of life and how to play it. So it says here, originally published in 1925, the game of life has become a spiritual classic. It's a down to earth style filled with anecdotes and covers topics such as prosperity, healing, forgiveness, faith, and the divine design. So I'm looking here at a list of contents. Here we go. All right. Chapter one, the game. Most people consider life a battle, but it is not a battle. It is a game. It is a game, however, which cannot be played successfully without the knowledge of spiritual law. And the Old and the New Testaments give the rules of the game with wonderful clearness. Jesus the Christ taught it that it was a great game of giving and receiving. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This means that whatever man sends out in word or deed will return to him. What he gives, he will receive. If he gives hate, he will receive hate. If he gives love, he will receive love. If he gives criticism, he will receive criticism. If he lies, he will be lied to. If he cheats, he will be cheated. We are taught also that the imaging faculty plays a leading part in the game of life. Keep thy heart or imagination with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs four verse 23. This means that what man images sooner or later externalizes in his affairs. I know of a man who feared a certain disease. It was a very rare disease and difficult to get, but he pictured it continually and read about it until it manifested in his body and he died the victim of distorted imagination. So we see to play successfully the game of life, we must train the imaging faculty. A person with an imaging faculty trained to image only good brings into his life every righteous desire of his heart, health, wealth, love, friends, perfect self-expression, his highest ideals. The imagination has been called the scissors of the mind, and it is ever cutting, cutting day by day, the pictures man sees there and sooner or later, he meets his own creations in his outer world. 
To train the imagination successfully, man must understand the workings of his mind. The Greeks said, Know thyself. There are three departments of the mind the subconscious, conscious, and superconscious. The subconscious is simply power without direction. It is like steam or electricity, and it does what it is directed to do. It has no power of induction. Whatever man feels deeply or images clearly is impressed upon the subconscious mind and carried out in minutest detail. For example, a woman I know when a child always made believe she was a widow. She dressed up in black clothes and wore a long black veil. People thought she was very clever and amusing. She grew up and married a man with whom she was deeply in love. In a short time, he died, and she wore black and a sweeping veil for many years. The picture of herself as a widow was impressed upon the subconscious mind, and in due time worked itself out, regardless of the havoc created. The conscious mind has been called mortal or carnal mind. It is the human mind and sees life as it appears to be. It sees death, disaster, sickness, poverty, and limitation of every kind. And it impresses the subconscious. The superconscious mind is the God mind within each man and is the realm of perfect ideas. In it, it is the perfect pattern spoken of by Plato, the divine design, for there is a divine design for each person. There is a place that you are to fill and no one else can fill. Something you are to do, which no one else can do. There is a perfect picture of this in the superconscious mind. It usually flashes across the conscious as an unattainable ideal, something too good to be true. In reality, it is man's true destiny or destination flashed to him from the infinite intelligence which is within himself. Many people, however, are in ignorance of their true destinies and are striving for things and situations which do not belong to them and would only bring failure and dissatisfaction if attained. For example, a woman came to me and asked to speak, asked me to speak the word that she would marry a certain man with whom she was very much in love. She called him A B. <laughs> I replied that this would be a violation of spiritual law, but that I would speak the word for the right man, the divine selection, the man who belonged to her by divine right. I added, if A.B. is the right man, you cannot lose him. And if he isn't, you will receive his equivalent. She saw A.B. frequently, but no headway was made in their friendship. 
One evening she called and said, Do you know, for the last week, A.B. hasn't seemed so wonderful to me. (laughs) I replied, Maybe he is not the divine selection. Another man may be the right one. Soon after that, she met another man who fell in love with her at once and who said she was his ideal. In fact, he said all the things that she had always wished A.B. would say to her. She remarked, it was quite uncanny. She soon returned his love and lost all interest in A.B. This shows the law of substitution. A right idea was substituted for a wrong one. Therefore, there was no loss or sacrifice involved. Jesus the Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he said, The kingdom was within man. The kingdom is the realm of right ideas or the divine pattern. Jesus the Christ taught that man's words played a leading part in the game of life. By your words ye are justified, and by your words ye are condemned. Many people have brought disaster into their lives through idle words. For example, a woman once asked me why her life was now one of poverty of of limitation. Formerly, she had a home, was surrounded by beautiful things, and often tired of the management of her home and had repeatedly said, I'm sick and tired of things. I wished I lived in a trunk. And she added, today I am living in that trunk. She had spoken herself into a trunk. The subconscious mind has no sense of humor and people often joke themselves into unhappy experiences. For example, a woman who had a great deal of money joked continually about getting ready for the poorhouse. In a few years, she was almost destitute, having impressed the subconscious mind with a picture of lack and limitation. Fortunately, the law works both ways, and a situation of lack may be changed to one of plenty. For example... A woman came to me one hot summer's day for a treatment for prosperity. She was worn out, dejected, and discouraged. She said she possessed just $8 in the world. I said, good, we'll bless the $8 and multiply them as Jesus the Christ multiplied the loaves and fishes. For he taught that every man has the power to bless and to multiply, to heal and to prosper. She said, what shall I do next? I replied, follow intuition. Have you a hunch to do anything or to go anywhere? Intuition means in tuition or to be taught from within. It is man's unerring guide 
and I will deal more fully with its laws in a following chapter. The woman replied, I don't know. I seem to have a hunch to go home. I've just enough money for car fare. Her home was in a distant city and was one of lack and limitation. And the reasoning mind or intellect would have said, stay in New York, get work, make some money. I replied, then go home, never violate a hunch. I spoke the following words for her. Infinite spirit opened the way for great abundance for blank. She is an irresistible magnet for all that belongs to her by divine right. I told her to repeat it continually also. She left for home immediately. In calling on a woman one day, she linked up with an old friend of her family. Through this friend, she received thousands of dollars in a most miraculous way. She has said to me often, tell people about the woman who came to you with $8 and a hunch. There's always plenty on man's pathway, but it can only be brought into manifestation through desire, faith, or the spoken word. Jesus, the Christ brought out clearly that man must make the first move. Ask and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew seven, verse seven. In the scriptures we read concerning the works of my hands, command ye me infinite intelligence. God is ever ready to carry out man's smallest or greatest demands. Every desire uttered or unexpressed is a demand. We are often startled by having a wish suddenly fulfilled. For example, one Easter, having seen many beautiful rose trees in the florist's windows, I wished I would receive one and for an instant saw it mentally being carried in the door. Easter came and with it a beautiful rose tree. I thanked my friend the following day and told her it was just what I had wanted. She replied, I didn't send you a rose tree. I sent you lilies. The man had mixed the order and sent me a rose tree simply because I had started the law in action and I had to have a rose tree. Nothing stands between man and his highest ideals and every desire of his heart, but fear and doubt. When man can wish without worrying, every desire will be instantly fulfilled. I will explain more fully in a following chapter, the scientific reason for this and fear must be erased from the consciousness. It is man's only enemy. Fear of lack, fear of failure, fear of sickness, fear of loss, and a feeling of insecurity on some plane. Jesus the Christ said, 
Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Matthew 8, verse 26. So we can see we must substitute faith for fear. For fear is only inverted faith. It is faith in evil instead of good. The object of the game of life is to see clearly one's good and to obliterate all mental pictures of evil. This must be done by impressing the subconscious mind with a realization of good. A very brilliant man who has attained great success told me he had suddenly erased all fear from his consciousness by reading a sign which hung in a room. He saw printed in large letters this statement, Why worry? It will probably never happen. These words were stamped indelibly upon his subconscious mind, and he has now a firm conviction that only good can come into his life. Therefore, only good can manifest. In the following chapter, I will deal with the different methods of impressing the subconscious mind. It is man's faithful servant, but one must be careful to give it the right orders. Man has ever a silent listener at his side, his subconscious mind. Every thought, every word is impressed upon it and carried out in amazing detail. It is like a singer making a record on the sensitive disc of the phonographic plate. Every note and tone of the singer's voice is registered. If he coughs or hesitates, it is registered also. So let us break all the old bad records in the subconscious mind, the records of our lives which we do not wish to keep, and make new and beautiful ones. Speak these words aloud with power and conviction. I now smash and demolish by my spoken word every untrue record in my subconscious mind. They shall return to the dust heap of their native nothingness, for they came from my own vain imaginings. I now make my perfect records through the Christ within, the records of health, wealth, love, and perfect self-expression. This is the square of life, the game completed. In the following chapters, I will show how man may change his conditions by changing his words. Any man who does not know the power of the word is behind the times. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18 verse 21. Chapter 2. The Law of Prosperity. One of the greatest messages given to the race through the scriptures is that God is man's supply and that man can release through his spoken word all that belongs to him by divine right. He must, however, have perfect faith in his spoken word. 
Isaiah said, my word shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that where it is sent. We know now that words and thoughts are a tremendous vibratory force. Every ever molding man's body and affairs. A woman came to me in great distress and said she was to be sued on the 15th of the month for $3,000. She knew no way of getting the money and was in despair. I told her God was her supply and that there is a supply for every demand. So I spoke the word. I gave thanks that the woman would receive $3,000 at the right time in the right way. I told her she must have perfect faith and act her perfect faith. The 15th came, but no money had materialized. She called me on the phone and asked what she was to do. I replied, it is Saturday, so they won't sue you today. Your part is to act rich, thereby showing perfect faith that you will receive it by Monday. She asked me to lunch with her to keep up her courage. When I joined her at a restaurant, I said, this is no time to economize. Order an expensive luncheon. Act as if you have already received the $3,000. All things whatsoever. All things whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. You must act as if you had already received. The next morning she called me on the phone and asked me to stay with her during the day. I said, no, you are divinely protected and God is never too late. In the evening she phoned again, greatly excited and said, My dear, a miracle has happened. I was sitting in my room this morning when the doorbell rang. I said to the maid, don't let anyone in. The maid, however, looked out the window and said, it's your cousin with the the white long beard. So I said, call him back. I would like to see him. He was just turning the corner when he heard the maid's voice and he came back. He talked for about an hour, and just as he was leaving, he said, Oh, by the way, how are your finances? I told him I needed the money, and he said, Why, my dear, I will give you $3,000 the first of the month. I didn't like to tell him I was going to be sued. What shall I do? I won't receive it till the first of the month, and I must have it tomorrow. I said, I'll keep on treating. I said, Spirit is never too late. I give thanks she has received the money on the invisible plane and that it manifests on time. The next morning, her cousin called her up and she said, come, and he said, come to my office this morning and I will give you the money. That afternoon, she had $3,000 to her credit in the bank and wrote checks as rapidly as her excitement would permit. If one asks for success and prepares for failure, he will get the situation he has prepared for. For example, a man came to me asking me to speak the word that a certain debt would be wiped out. I found he had spent 
his time planning what he would say to the man when he did not pay his bill, therefore, thereby neutralizing my words. He should have seen himself paying the debt. We have a wonderful illustration of this in the Bible relating to the three kings who were in the desert without water for their men and horses. They consulted the prophet Elisha, who gave them this astonishing message. Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet make this valley full of ditches. Man must prepare for the thing he has asked for when there isn't the slightest sign of it in sight. For example, a woman found it necessary to look for an apartment during the year when there was a great shortage of apartments in New York. It was considered almost an impossibility and her friends were sorry for her and said, isn't it too bad you'll have to store your furniture and live in a hotel. She replied, you needn't feel sorry for me. I'm a superman and I'll get an apartment. She spoke the words, infinite spirit open the way for the right apartment. She knew there was a supply for every demand and that she was unconditioned working on the spiritual plane and that one with God is a majority. She had contemplated buying new blankets when the tempter, the adverse thought or reasoning mind suggested, don't buy the blankets. Perhaps after all, you won't get an apartment and you will have no use for them. She promptly replied to herself, I'll dig my ditches by buying the blankets. So she prepared for the apartment acted as though she already had it. She found one in a miraculous way and it was given to her, although there were over 200 other applicants. The blankets showed active faith. It is needless to say that the ditches dug by the three kings in the desert were filled to overflowing. Read 2 Kings. Getting into the spiritual swing of things is no easy matter for the average person. The adverse thoughts of doubt and fear surge from the subconscious. They are the army of the aliens, which must be put to flight. This explains why it is so often darkest before the dawn. A big demonstration is usually preceded by tormenting thoughts. Having made a statement of high spiritual truth, one challenges the old beliefs in the subconscious and error is exposed to be put out. This is the time when one must make his affirmations of truth repeatedly and rejoice and give thanks that he already has received. Before ye call, I shall answer. This means that every good and perfect gift is already man's awaiting his recognition. Man can only receive what he sees himself receiving. The children of Israel were told that they could have all the land they could see. This is true of every man. 
He has only the land within his own mental vision. Every great work, every big accomplishment has been brought into manifestation through holding to the vision. And often just before the big achievement comes apparent failure and discouragement. The children of Israel, when they reached the promised land, were afraid to go in for they said it was filled with giants who made them feel like grasshoppers. And there we saw the giants and we were in our own right, in our own sight as grasshoppers. This is almost every man's experience. (laughs) Not literally though, right? (laughs) Anyway, I digress. However, the one who knows spiritual law is undisturbed by appearance and rejoices while he is yet in captivity. That is, he holds to his vision and gives thanks that the end is accomplished. He has received. Jesus the Christ gave a wonderful example of this. He said to his disciples, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are ripe already to harvest. His clear vision pierced the world of matter, and he saw clearly the fourth dimensional world, things as they really are, perfect and complete in divine mind. So man must ever hold the vision of his journey's end and demand the manifestation of that which he has already received. It may be his perfect health, love, supply, and self-expression, home, or friends. They are all finished and perfect ideas, registered in divine mind, man's own superconscious mind, and must come through him, not to him. For example, a man came to me asking for treatments for success. It was imperative that he raise within a certain time $50,000 for his business. The time limit was almost up when he came to me in despair. No one wanted to invest in his enterprise and the bank had flatly refused a loan. I replied, I suppose you lost your temper while at the bank, therefore your power. You can control any situation if you first control yourself. Go back to the bank, I added, and I will treat. My treatment was, you are identified in love with the spirit of everyone connected with the bank. Let the divine idea come out of this situation. He replied, woman, you are talking about an impossibility. Tomorrow is Saturday. The bank closes at 12 and my train won't get me there till 10. And the time limit is up tomorrow. And anyway, they won't do it. It's too late. I replied, God doesn't need any time and is never too late with him. All things are possible. I added, I don't know anything about business, but I know all about God. He replied, it all sounds fine when I sit here listening to you, but when I go out there, it's terrible. He lived in a distant city and I did not hear from him for a week. Then came a letter. It read, you were right. I raised the money and will never again doubt the truth of all that you told me. I saw him a few weeks later and I said, what happened? 
You evidently had plenty of time after all. He replied, my train was late and I got there just 15 minutes to 12. I walked into the bank quietly and said, I have come for the loan and they gave it to me without question. Oh, whoa. It was the last 15 minutes of the time allotted to him and infinite spirit was not too late. In this instance, the man could never have demonstrated alone. He needed someone to help him hold to the vision. This is what one man can do for another. Jesus the Christ knew the truth of this when he said, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. One gets too close to his own affairs and he becomes doubtful and fearful. The friend or healer sees clearly the success, health or prosperity and never wavers because he is not close to the situation. It is much easier to demonstrate for someone else than for oneself. So a person should not hesitate to ask for help if he feels himself wavering. A keen observer of life once said, no man can fail if some one person sees him successful. Such is the power of the vision. And many a great man owed his success to a wife, sister, or a friend who believed in him and held without wavering to the perfect pattern. Chapter three, the power of the word. A person knowing the power of the word becomes very careful of his conversation. He has only to watch the reaction of his words to know that they do not return void. Through his spoken word, man is continually making laws for himself. I knew a man who said, I always miss a car. It invariably pulls out just as I arrive. His daughter said, I always catch a car. It's sure to come just as I get there. This occurred for years. Each had made a separate law for himself, one of failure, one of success. This is the psychology of superstitions. The horseshoe or rabbit's foot contains no power, but man's spoken word and belief that it will bring good luck creates expectancy in the subconscious mind and attracts a lucky situation. I find, however, this will not work when man has advanced spiritually and knows a higher law. One cannot turn back and must put away graven images. For example, two men in my class had had great success in business for several months when suddenly everything went to smash. We tried to analyze the situation and I found instead of making their affirmations and looking to God for success and prosperity, they each had bought a lucky monkey. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I can't even with this <laughs> lucky monkey. <laughs> I said, oh, I see. You have been trusting in the lucky monkeys instead of God. Put away the lucky monkeys. Call on the law of forgiveness, for man has power to forgive or neutralize his mistakes. They decided to throw the lucky monkeys down a coat hole, oh, a coal hole, 
I don't know what a coal hole is. C O A L H O L E. <laughs> they decided to throw the lucky monkeys down a coal hole, and all went well again. This does not mean, however, that one should throw away every lucky ornament or horseshoe about the house. But he must recognize that the power back of it is the one and only power, God, and that the object simply gives him a feeling of expectancy. I was with a friend one day who was in deep despair. In crossing the street, she picked up a horseshoe. Immediately, she was filled with joy and hope. She said God had sent her the horseshoe in order to keep up her courage. It was indeed at that moment about the only thing that could have registered in her consciousness. Her hope became faith and she ultimately made a wonderful demonstration. I wish to make the point clear that the men previously mentioned were depending on the monkeys alone. (laughs) Well, the woman recognized the power back of the horseshoe. I know in my own case, it took a long while to get out of a belief that a certain thing brought disappointment. If the thing happened, disappointment invariably followed. I found the only way I could make it a change in the subconscious was by asserting there are not two powers. There's only one power, God. Therefore, there are not disappointments. And this thing means a happy surprise. I noticed a change at once and happy surprises commenced coming my way. I have a friend who said nothing could induce her to walk under a ladder. I said, if you are afraid, you are giving in to a belief in two powers, good and evil, instead of one. As God is absolute, there can be no opposing power unless man makes the false of evil for himself. To show you believe in only one power, God, and that there is no power or reality in evil, walk under the next ladder you see. Soon after she went to her bank, she wished to open her box in the safe deposit vault, and there stood a ladder on her pathway. (laughs) It was impossible to reach the box without passing under the ladder. She quailed with fear and turned back. She cannot face the lion on the pathway. (laughs) However, when she reached the street, my words rang in her ears and she decided to return and walk under it. It was a big moment in her life for ladders had held her in bondage for years. She retraced her steps to the vault and the ladder was no longer there. Oh, this so often happens. If one is willing to do a thing he is afraid to do, he does not have to. It is the law of non-resistance, which is so little understood. Someone has said that courage contains genius and magic. Face a situation fearlessly and there is no situation to face. It falls away of its own weight. The explanation is that fear attracted the ladder on the woman's pathway. Fearlessness removed it. Thus, the invisible forces are ever working for man. All right. Love you guys, invisible forces. I always say that every every day. I tell them, I love you, invisible forces working for God. <laughs> you guys rock. <laughs> the invisible forces are ever working for man who is always pulling the strings himself. 
though he does not know it. Owing to the vibratory power of words, whatever man voices, he begins to attract people who continually speak of disease invariably attract it. After man knows the truth, he cannot be too careful of his words. For example, I have a friend who often says on the phone, do come to see me and have an old fashioned chat. This old fashioned chat means an hour of about 500 to a thousand destructive words. The principal topics being loss, lack, failure, and sickness. I reply, no, I thank you. I've had enough old fashioned chats in my life. They are too expensive, but I will be glad to have a new fashioned chat and talk about what we want, not what we don't want. There is an old saying that man only dares use his words for three purposes, heal, bless, or prosper. What man says of others will be said of him. What he wishes for another, he is wishing for himself. Curses like chickens come home to roost. Boy, I want to see that on some artwork. That would That's a t-shirt right there, guys. Curses like chickens come home to roost. <laughs> nice. If a man wishes someone bad luck, he is sure to attract bad luck himself. If he wishes to aid someone to success, he is wishing and aiding uh, wishing and aiding himself to success the body may be renewed and transformed through the spoken word and clear vision and disease be completely wiped out of the consciousness the metaphysician knows that all disease has a mental correspondence and in order to heal the body one must first heal the soul the soul is the subconscious mind and it must be saved from the wrong thinking In the 23rd Psalm, we read, He restoreth my soul. This means that the subconscious mind or soul must be restored with the right ideas and the mystical marriage is the marriage of the soul and the spirit or the subconscious and the superconscious mind. They must be one. When the subconscious is flooded with the perfect ideas of the superconscious, God and man are one. I and the Father are one. That is, he is one with the realm of perfect ideas. He is the man made in God's likeness and image or imagination and is given power and dominion over all created things, his mind, body, and affairs. It is safe to say that all sickness and unhappiness come from the violation of the law of love a new commandment I give unto you love one another and in the game of life love or goodwill takes every trick for example a woman I know had for years an appearance of a terrible skin disease the doctors told her it was incurable and she was in despair she was on the stage and she feared she would soon have to give up her profession and she had no other means of support. She, she, however, procured a good engagement and on the opening night made a great hit. She received flattering notices from the critics and was joyful and elated. The next day she received a notice of dismissal. A man in the cast had been jealous of her success and had caused her to be sent away. She felt hatred and resentment taking complete possession of her. And she cried out, Oh God, don't let me hate that man. 
And that night she worked for hours in the silence. She said, I soon came into a very deep silence. I seemed to be at peace with myself, with the man and with the whole world. I continued this for two following nights. And on the third day, I found I was healed completely of the skin disease. In asking for love or goodwill, she had fulfilled the law. For love is the fulfilling of the law. And the disease which came from subconscious resentment was wiped out. Continual criticism produces rheumatism as critical inharmonious thoughts cause unnatural deposits in the blood which settle in the joints. False growths are caused by jealousy, hatred, unforgiveness, fear, etc. Every disease is caused by a mind not at ease. I said once in my class, there is no use asking anyone what's the matter with you. We might just as well say, who's the matter with you? Unforgiveness is the most prolific cause of disease. It will harden arteries or liver and affect the eyesight. In its train are endless ills. I called on a woman one day who said she was ill from having eaten a poisoned oyster. I replied, oh no, the oyster was harmless. You poisoned the oyster. What's the matter with you? (laughs) And she answered, Oh, about 19 people. (laughs) She had quarreled with 19 people and it becomes so inharmonious that she attracted the wrong oyster. (laughs) Oopsies. (laughs) Any inharmony on the external indicates there's mental inharmony as the within, so the without. Man's only enemies are within himself, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Personality is one of the last enemies to be overcome as this planet is taking its initiation in love. It was Christ's message, peace on earth, goodwill towards man. The enlightened man, therefore, endeavors to perfect himself upon his neighbor. His work is with himself to send out goodwill and blessings to every man. And the marvelous thing is that if one blesses a man, he has no power to harm him. For example, a man came to me asking to treat for success in business. He was selling machinery and rival appeared on the scene with what he proclaimed was a better machine. And my friend feared defeat. I said, first of all, we must wipe out all fear and know that God protects your interest and that the divine idea must come out of the situation. That is the right machine will be sold by the right man to the right man. And I added, don't hold one critical thought towards that man. Bless him all day and be willing not to sell your machine if it isn't the divine idea. So he went to the meeting fearless and non-resistant and blessing the other man. He said the outcome was very remarkable. The other man's machine refused to work and he sold his without the slightest difficulty. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, 
do good to them that hate you and pray for them which spitefully use you and persecute you. Goodwill produces a great aura of protection against the one. I'm sorry. Goodwill produces a great aura of protection about the one who sends it and no weapon that is formed against him shall prosper. In other words, love and goodwill destroy the enemies with oneself. Therefore, one has no enemies on the external. There is peace on earth for him who sends goodwill to man. All right, we're going to come back next week on Monday to read chapter four, the law of non-resistance. So I hope you guys are enjoying this book. I I didn't want to get into this chapter because we won't be able to finish it. Uh, We only have, uh, we have less than 10 minutes. So, so uh, I wanted to uh, make it clear that when I sent the karma back to these people, 30 million times 30 million, I was done with it. I still love these people. I unconditionally love everyone on earth, but in an impersonal way, I don't like them. I don't have to like them. I don't hate them either by the way. I mean, I love them, right? But liking and loving are two different things. And, um, I was having this conversation a few days ago with somebody who just started listening to the show recently. And, uh, I was trying to get across to him, like, look, people that have harmed you that are really like toxic and negative and not good, you know, bad for you. You don't have to like them. You don't have to know them, befriend them, have them in your house or have them around you because they're toxic. However, you do need to send back all of their negativity back to them. The curses like chickens come home to roost. (laughs) You do need to send it back to them and you need to protect yourself and then you send them love with it. Remember my condom method is when you, you take, it's like you unroll your own energy from your own body that you put there through your meditation and your goodwill toward yourself. And you unroll it like a condom, put it over your enemy's head and you know, they're your enemy because you have a, you know, you know that they've hurt you or they, you ask God, you get a confirmation through just basic asking or pendulum or muscle testing. You know, if you have an inkling in your mind, Oh, so-and-so hurt me. Oh man. They did something. They did some kind of hoodoo, voodoo, you do, or who the hell knows, <laughs> but they did something. So you unroll the energy from your body and you, you, and like a condom, and then you, you turn it in, you know, inside out from your head, you flip it over and put it on top of their head and you roll it back down over their body and all the icky, gooey, yucky, you know, darts or whatever they imagine for you goes on the inside of that condom and you tie it beneath their feet once, twice, thrice. And then you fill the rest of it up with pure love of God. That way you are not cursing them. You're just giving them, Oh, I'm sorry. You left this shit here in my house. I'm giving it back to you. You know, just like if your, you know, best friend left her purse in your house. Oh, here, honey, you left your purse here. Just like that. Oh, here you left your insults and your negativity and your hatred of me and all the spells you cast against me. You left that here with me. Let me just give that on back to you. And I'm going to ask God to put a divine restraining order against you. So you never do that again. And I ask that any forces of evil you employed are now put back on you. And that they also have a divine restraining order on them. And then I also ask that, you know, all of, of the love that I can muster up for you 
I, I could let go and I could forgive you. And I just, you've displeased me, but you know, that's okay. You're not, you know, smart enough yet to understand that pure love is the way to be in this world. So, okay. You know, it's your fault, but you just don't know you're ignorant. <laughs> you want to be an ignorant, you know what? Okay. It's fine on you, but I, I don't need it on me. Here it is. Here's all your, your crap back. Put that condom around them, tie it up at the bottom and just three times just blow and just imagine that it's like imagine it's a hilarious thing to think about just imagine they're covered in the condom and you fill that with love 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 you don't do it with malice or hatred or anger you might be angry at first if you find out someone is, is doing something against you and then you just all right I forgive them they're stupid I forgive them Lord they don't they know not what they do but I am giving their shit back to them and I'm going to say 30 million times 30 million not playing anymore. The curses like chickens will always come home to roost. (laughs) And so it is, (laughs) you know, I don't have any qualms about sending people their shit. They sent to me, you know, it's just as if, you know, you ordered a a t-shirt and it showed up in the wrong color and the wrong size. It's not useful for you. It might be useful for someone else send it on back. Send me what I do want. I didn't want that one. Send me the right one. So it's pretty much like that with, with all life. You're going to notice in this book, it's always the same, you know, kind of a scenario, but her affirmations are incredible. If you did not take notes while, uh, listening, you might want to go back and listen and, and write down the affirmations. They're really good. Like incredibly good. So, uh, there you have it. Um, I had a hard time getting to this book too. I had so many difficulties with, (laughs) I mean, it's like the cursor left my screen and there was like a lot of resistance for me getting this book. And I I didn't know if I wanted this or another book. And I was between two and it wouldn't, then the file wouldn't open. It said it was a corrupted file. Then I went back to where I got it, where I first downloaded it. And that website's now been seized by the FBI. (laughs) And they're under criminal investigation where I got this hundred year old book. It's like, what? I mean, they have newer books on there, but I'm, I was just there to get something that's in the public domain. And I, I was just like, Oh my God, someone doesn't want me to read something great on the show tonight. But I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And I said, God, I need your help. And God said, go incognito. So I opened up an incognito screen, went to type something in to get to this book. And um, the P, I lost my P. I don't mean I peed my pants. I mean, I lost the ability to type the letter P. (laughs) My whole keyboard works except for the letter P now. I don't know what that's about. I'm like, what the hell happened? It was right after I looked at this where it said the FBI sees the website. Suddenly my browser wouldn't work. Suddenly I don't have the letter P. Suddenly all this shit happened. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the FBI must be doing black magic at this point. <laughs> anyway, I send it all back to them. 30 million times 30 million if they are. But anyway, <laughs> and if not, whatever, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, but anyway, uh, if that's what they're doing, but anyway, I was just like, man, this is so stupid. 
And so I just, I just closed my eyes for a couple seconds and I imagined, okay, it's going to work. The right book's going to come up. And I looked at the other book and then I looked at this and then I asked God and God said, do the game of life. It will help a lot of people. And I said, okay, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Woohoo! <laughs> I mean, pretty, pretty exciting, right? Pretty exciting guys. Um, I love Florence Scoville Shin. She is, she was amazing. God rest her soul. Makes me happy. These stories make me so happy. I hope that you are having the same reaction to it. Well, that's it guys. All right. I will be back tomorrow with all unique and original programming, just like always. If you need to get in touch with me or ask me any questions at all, Write me at mermaidgirl888 on Instagram. And that's it for now. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for being on the spiritual journey. Thank you for sharing Metaphysical Soul Speak, the podcast, with all your friends and anyone you run into at the grocery store or the bank or anywhere that talk about spiritual things. Just say, hey, check out Metaphysical Soul Speak, the podcast. You might get something out of it after all. All right, that's, that's it, guys. I'm signing off with peace and joy and the high vibes of the holy fifth dimension until next time guys peace hey guys i've been making episodes of metaphysical soul speak the podcast for a while now and many of you have contacted me wondering just how you can support me and my podcast well i have two solutions for this question number one is to become a listener supporter in which you go to the anchor app locate my channel and sign up anywhere from 99 cents to nine dollars and 99 cents monthly and you can stop anytime. Or number two is to make a one-time donation of any amount via Zelle, bank to bank, or through PayPal using my email, mermaidgirl888 at gmail.com, also located in the show description. Now with this option, you aren't uh, obligated monthly in any way. And you're also not limited. Thank you all so much in advance for your support. Let's keep metaphysical soul speak on the air and onward and upward to the fifth dimension together, guys. Thank you.